pray. Amen. You may be seated. God is pursuing you. God is coming after you. God's kindness to you cannot be overstated. It cannot be embellished. It's already there. He's not angry with you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not frustrated with you. He is not cold toward you. He is pursuing you in love. That's, what, that's how God feels about you right now, right here. God is pursuing you in love, and he wants you. In the passage that we just read, you see one of the main characters in the New Testament it's Jesus' sidekick, Peter. It is this man who's been with Jesus. He's close friends with him. He is the poster child for discipleship in Jesus' day. He is that guy. And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why is there a story put in a book that is about Jesus and about faith in God, why does that book tell this really quite terrible story about this disciple, and not just this disciple, but another disciple, Judas as well, whom both really betray him. Judas for selling out his friend Jesus, and Peter for just straight up denying that he even knew him. Why would that type of uh, information be put in there? If I was writing a story about Outward Church and how it went, it would not include the rough patches. It would not, it would not include, like the Bible does, affairs of people who are after God's own heart, murders, by people who end up speaking for God, denial of somebody who is supposedly supposed to have the church built on him, around him, he's supposed to be a leader of the church, that guy, Peter, what, if I was writing a story I would not put those details in there. Why are these details here? And it is because God is pursuing us in love. And he, he wants us to see something in this. I wanna tell you the story of Peter, not just out of this passage, but out of other passages through the scripture. And so we'll be walking through some scriptures and follow along if you like. But you might remember early on in the Luke series, we talked about Peter's calling. It's a pretty great story, and actually it's shown in the, uh, the uh, TV series, uh, The Chosen, 
and it's quite great. If you haven't, if you haven't watched that, I believe it's like the third or fourth episode, but it's pretty fantastic. But Jesus is on the beach one day, he's teaching, and there's some fishermen that are behind him, it seems like, and he has to climb on one of their boats, and so he can kind of get out from the shore and speak to these people who are on the beach. And it happens to be Peter's boat that he's, that he's teaching on. And he turns around, uh, turns around and says, right after that, he says, hey, let's go, let's go fishing, let's go out. And Peter turns around and says, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, we'll let down our nets. He says, we've been, we've been fishing all night, we've caught nothing. It's a bad day for fishing. The fish are not out tonight. It, it, it feels like my hunting experiences over the last two years, right? Just, just a lot of looking, not a lot of animals. Uh, that just tells you how good I am at, at hunting. But... Um, but that's what, what had happened. And lo and behold, they end up catching all these fish, and so many that the, the, the nets begin to break. They have to call their friends over. They bring their friends over, and, and they come help them haul these fish in. And then Peter sees this, and he's immediately brought to this moment of, whoa, this guy is powerful. This guy is amazing. This guy is somebody that I, that I need to humble myself in front of. And he falls down at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. So Peter is immediately brought to this place of just like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? What is going on? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left, and, and they left everything and followed him. Immediately, Peter is, he's brought to this, this conclusion, this guy is powerful, this guy is amazing, and I need to be around him. That's the story of Jesus, or I'm sorry, of Peter coming to Christ, coming into relationship with him. I don't know what that moment was for you or if you've even had that moment, but it has to do with, is this God, is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and is he powerful? And if he is, and if he has that power, then what would keep you from, from following him? What would keep you from humbling yourself before him? But that's what happens to Peter, is that Peter begins a relationship, and rather, Jesus begins a relationship with Peter. And so Peter is this, this disciple who is quoted the most throughout the New Testament. When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, he's like the kid in class who always has the right answer. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But the, he's also just a, a little bit off. He's, 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 a little bit, he's a little bit off. When Jesus starts talking about how he's going to the cross, Peter admonishes Jesus and says, far be it from you, Lord, uh, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Like, holy cow. Like, like Peter assumes that he can just talk to Jesus like this and Jesus calls him out like that. 
There's this master-servant relationship, and Jesus is kind of keeping him in check, but you see this kind of relationship that's building. You might remember from Matthew 14 where Peter walks on water. Peter sees Jesus on the water, and he says, if it's really you, command me to come on the water. And Jesus says, okay, come on. And so Peter gets out, he starts walking on water, he begins to doubt, he starts to sink, and he says, Lord, save me! And God picks him up out of, or Jesus picks him up out of the water. They've had all of these experiences together. And then after, like virtually all of Jesus' other disciples, his followers, leave him, because Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple, which is kind of a weird saying. Jesus says, do you want to go away away as well? And Peter has the right answer again. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Like, he, he is this fantastic disciple. His personality just comes out in every statement. He's impetuous. He's impulsive. He, he's rash. He's harsh sometimes. But he's also really after Jesus. He's trying to do all these things. He's trying to keep up with him. He wants to have the right answers. On the Mount of Transfiguration, maybe you remember the story, maybe you don't. But Jesus takes three disciples up on top of this mountain and then Jesus all of a sudden is like glowing. His glory is like being shown in a sense to them. And then Moses and Elijah show up. They come down from heaven and, and like Peter's just like, his mind is blown. And he's just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I, I don't know what he was acting like, but he, he's just like freaking out. And so he just starts talking. This is the type of person that just starts talking. And so he says, Lord, it's good that we're here. Uh, if you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It'll be fantastic. It'll be, it'll be absolutely perfect. It'll, it'll be amazing. And then all of a sudden this voice from heaven comes down. We believe it's the father who says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's as if God the father is like, stop talking. Would you, would you just like keep your mouth shut for a second? Just like enjoy the moment. Like be in the moment, Peter. Like, like just see this Jesus. See him for who he is. Peter can't stop talking. He's impulsive. He's rash. And then they're in the upper room. And Jesus is washing all of their feet. This is right as they're about to enter into this Passover meal where Jesus is about to say, one of you is going to betray me. But as they're coming in, or at least after they had come in, Jesus kneels down to wash each of their feet. And every disciple kind of seems to understand this, except for Peter. <laughs> he gets to Peter and he says, you shall never wash my feet. Like, hey, there's no way you're washing my feet. Like, I'm washing your feet, if anything. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna serve you, you don't serve me, kind of a deal. And Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And like, isn't that kind of interesting? It's like Peter, Peter is so resistant to Jesus doing something for him. He's like, I've always gotta be doing something for God. 
I've gotta be doing something for Jesus. I gotta be doing this, I gotta be doing that, I gotta have the right answers. I don't know if that's entirely his personality, but it's, that seems pretty plain to me, that, it's, that Jesus has to communicate to this guy, listen, it is not about what you do for me or don't do because you, you love me. It is not about that. You know anybody else who's like that? Know, know anybody else that, that feels like they've always gotta be doing something for God? I know someone real well. It's me. It's me. I don't feel good if I don't do something for God. I don't feel good if I don't have the right answer because people ask me a lot of questions. I don't feel good if I don't feel like what I'm doing is effective. I know somebody really well like that. But Jesus' great response is, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. <laughs> so Peter, the way that he is, says, all right, <laughs> that sounds good. Then not just my feet, why not also my hands and my head? <laughs> all right, if you're gonna give me a bath, give me a whole bath. I don't want a par partial bath, I just want the feet. I don't just, you know, I want the whole enchilada, right? He's so funny. And then comes Jesus' prediction that Peter would deny him, which we've talked about in previous weeks here, where Jesus tells him that Satan demanded to have him, that he might sift him like wheat, get a piece of him, but Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And Peter, again, kind of denying this idea that that he has uh, any vulnerabilities, that he has any kind of possibility of somehow being taken advantage of by Satan, being tempted, being something like that. Like Peter, once again, says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus, I'm, I'm ready. Like, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. That would never happen. And Jesus has to tell him again. And he tells him specifically, here's what's going to happen. I tell you, Peter, in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke 22, verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, den deny three times that you know me. It's going to happen. But remember, he's also, he, he just said, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And so then we go into the story of what happens. Jesus is, is taken, he, it says in verse 54, they seized him, they led him away. Peter in that moment had pulled out a sword once again, I'll defend you, chop somebody ear, somebody's ear off. Jesus heals the ear. He's taken to the high priest's house. But Peter, being the, the hero, Christ follower that he thinks he is, 
is following at a distance. He, he, he's, he, he thinks he's unrecognizable. He's following at a distance. He's, he's, he wants to see what's going on. And it says in verse 55, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And what's interesting about this is that in the book of John, it tells the same story. It says in John 18, verse 17 through 18, it says, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are also not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he says, I am not. It's basically the same as, as the Luke passage. And then it says this in verse 18, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, a charcoal fire. It's the first time in, in scripture where a fire is described as a charcoal fire. For some reason, that's the way that it was described. So they had made this charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. And then immediately after that comes his second denial. Someone else comes and, and, and sees him and says, you're also one of them from Luke, verse uh, 58. And Peter says, man, I am not. And then an hour passes and somebody says, look, I've seen this guy somewhere. Certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. I see how he dresses. I hear his particular dialect and I can tell that he's with him. But Peter says in verse 60, I do not know what you're talking about. I have no idea. I do not know this guy. I don't know why you keep asking me this. That is not happening. That's not what took place. It says in John 18, verse 26, that the servant who asked him this was a relative of the guy who, whose ear he had cut off. So they, like, I've seen this guy somewhere. I swear I saw him wielding a sword just a few minutes ago or a little bit ago. And now here he is totally denying that he even knows this guy. So what happens as soon as he says that, while he's st still speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord looks at him and Peter immediately remembers, ah, oh, dang it. Jesus told me this was gonna happen. Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he's immediately brought to this place of just devastation. It's devastation because he has prided himself in having the right answers. He's prided himself, uh, perhaps, that he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's prided himself on that he's probably one of the top disciples. He's, he's prided himself on this idea that he has it together on some level, even though Jesus has had to call him down several times. But it's not just that, it's, it's also that he, it's not just that he denied him, it's that Jesus told him, hey, you're gonna deny me, and Peter's sitting there just going, that's not gonna happen, that's not gonna take place, I'm not, that's not, that's not what, what this is gonna be about. He tells him that's gonna happen, and it still happens. Anybody ever feel like that? You know what to watch out for. 
You know, you know what you know what what you should not be involved with. You know how life has gone for you before. You you know the temptation. You you know what what right is from wrong. Or maybe you've come to that conclusion where you just go, man, I just keep screwing up. I just keep screwing up. I keep thinking, all right, I'll come to God when I when I have my life together. I'll come to God when when things are working out fine, but it just, you know that you shouldn't do this and you do it. But Peter is in this place where he's a close personal friend. He's a, he's a close friend of Jesus. They're tight. Jesus has loved him. He's loved Jesus. They've had so many experiences together. They've spent so much time together. And here he is denying his friend in his greatest moment of need. What's going through Peter's mind here? Why is this story being told? What's going through Peter's mind? I think is, I'm such a screw up. I always say the wrong thing. I, I always mess it up. I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying, and I can't seem to get ahead of this. I can't seem to get ahead of, I don't know, just being impulsive. I can't seem to get ahead of this issue. And I, I think he's thinking, well, it was a, it was a good ride. All right. But it seems, it, right after this happens, the resurrection takes place, it seems that Jesus is already on the trail. He's already seeking Peter. Because it says in Mark 16, 7, an angel says to some women that go to anoint Jesus' body, they come to the tomb, the tomb, the stone is rolled away, they come inside of the tomb, and there's a man dressed in white, an angel, and the angel says, you're looking for Jesus, I know. He's not here, he's risen. And then he get, has special instructions. But go tell his disciples, Mark, Mark 16, seven, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Why does Jesus, or why does God have this angel say this, but go tell his disciples and listen, don't forget to tell Peter. Don't forget to tell him. The other disciples surely knew about this. There was another disciple there in that courtyard. Jesus had predicted it in front of everyone, but he's already coming after Peter. Hey, I, I want Peter to know. I want to see him when I get to Galilee. Jesus is saying to you, hey, I want to see you. I want to see you. He's not just saying, hey, to all the disciples that didn't deny me, hey, all y'all can come meet me in Galilee. I want everybody. I want everybody, even the ones that feel like they've totally blown it. 
And then on the road to Emmaus, some disciples meet Jesus uh, on the road. They didn't realize it at first. And then all of a sudden their eyes are opened and they, and they, they realize they've been talking to Jesus this whole time. And they come back and they tell the other disciples, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Like Jesus not just said, hey, I want to see, see Peter. He's gone to see him, actually. Like Jesus is pursuing him. He's coming after him. He's coming after you. He longs to be with you in the midst of your greatest destructive choices. In the midst of, in, in the moment of your greatest need, he is there for you in spite of the fact that you were not there for him. But Peter still seems dejected and out of the game. Peter seems like, I've had enough. In John 21, it says this in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Why does Simon say that? Why does Peter say that? I don't know. That's the life that I knew before I met Jesus. I had this experience. I had all this time with the guy. All this, he put so much time into me. Lord knows I needed it. I needed his help. Been walking with him for three years. He called me out of fishing. I dropped everything and I walked with him. And the truth is, I scorned it. I walked away from him in the moment that he needed, needed it the most. I think that's what Peter's doing. I'm going fishing. I mean, it's just, I mean, just think about the shame that's rolling around in his head. It's just shame, shame, shame. Like, I mean, how many times did he say to himself, he stinking told me that it was gonna happen. I knew that was gonna take place, and I still did it? He told me that that's what, was, what the situation was gonna be. Like, I even knew the time of day. Like, it was gonna be right about that time, right before the rooster crows. And they all say, we'll go with you. And I don't know that this is what it's saying, but a lot of these guys were fishermen to begin with. Just plain uneducated guys. And Jesus had been teaching them all along the way. And so this guy who is the rock that Jesus is gonna build his church on walks away to go fishing on some level. And everybody else says, yeah, I guess I'll go too. And let's do it. Got to keep ourselves busy. Our leader just died. You just totally rejected him. Basically, all of them had rejected him. There's got to be a sense of, dude, we're miserable. We'll go with you. They went and got into, the, into that boat. 
But that night, they caught nothing. Does that not ring a bell? It's, it's coming back to Peter's initial calling. I've been fishing all night, Jesus, but at your word, we'll let down our nets. Okay. Want me to do it? That's fine. It's, it's reminiscent. They, it's all night. They catch nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. But his disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus like calls out to them and says, children, do you have any fish? Like that word there could, could mean like little boys. I don't know. What is Jesus doing? What's he, what's he doing? I heard one pastor say, he's just jacking with his kids. He's just jacking with his kids. It's kind of like that, that moment where uh, Jesus just like pops into a room all of a sudden and says, peace be with you, like that. And everyone's like, yeah! You know, it's like the last thing that they experience. You gotta wonder, was Jesus like getting some kind of fun out of this, out of just kind of jacking with him a little bit? I don't think Jesus does that, but I think it would be funny because I do it to my kids. And so um, I'm writing a parenting book soon. Uh, do you have any fish? And they answer him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Like, how absurd is that? Oh, we've been on the left side in this water, but this water, which is totally different than that water, has fish in it. I don't know if you've seen school, schools of fish, but they swarm, you know? And so they say, I guess we've been fishing on the left side all day. You know? <laughs> so like, I mean, let's try something different. Let's throw it on the right side. There's probably some great historical reason why that makes sense, but. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in. Again, what's Jesus doing here? It's like Jesus is sitting there going, hey, Peter, do you remember that day? Do you remember that day when I called you? Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day, that moment that you fell down at my knees and you said, get away from me, I'm a sinful guy. Do you remember when I said to you, don't worry about it, don't be afraid. From now on, you're gonna be fishing for men. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, I'm still coming after you. He's, he's, he's creating this moment where he's reminding him of some things. So they weren't able to haul it in. That disciple whom Jesus loved, they believe that's John referring to himself, because this is out of the book of John, which seems kind of prideful, but uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he puts on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. John is hilarious because I think he points these things out on purpose. It was like Peter had, he was down to his undershorts or whatever he had on because they're out there, it's just the guys, you know, they're out fishing, like who cares? They're like just, whatever, whatever. Like you just, you're sweating, like pulling in the nets and stuff. 
Peter goes, it's Jesus. He's, where's my jacket? Puts on his jacket and just right in, like just, go, just goes for it. And I think John is pointing this out, like Peter, again, his impetuous nature, he's he just like going after Jesus. And so he starts swimming to the shore. The other disciples came in the boat. Okay, yeah, so the other disciples came in the boat, <coughs> dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. <laughs> so it's like Peter jumps in the water, and he starts swimming, and they're just kind of like creeping up right next to him. <laughs> it's like, nice one, dude. Uh, you're all wet now. That's hilarious. So... When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. That's pretty specific. And although there were so many that the net was, uh, although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Remember I told you that that word charcoal fire, it's very specific. It's so specific in fact, it's the first time in the entire Bible that the word charcoal fire is used in the courtyard there. Peter's warming himself while he's denying Jesus. And this is the second time. It's the only two times that this word for fire is used in the Bible. It's charcoal fire, it's right here. What's Jesus doing? He's, he's also bringing up, remember when I called you? Remember that other day? when you were sitting in the courtyard around a charcoal fire? Let's try this again. Come and have breakfast. What does God do with people who deny him? What does God do to people who repeatedly violate his rules? What does the, this God who has wrath and anger and all of this stuff, what does he do with his people after he's just told them, you're going to deny me, and they do the exact thing that he told them they were going to do? What does he do with people who act like this? He makes breakfast. And it's, it's, and it's more than just breakfast, it's the intimacy of a meal. To sit and have a meal with someone in this culture is to enjoy friendship. It's, it's something private, but you, when you invite people into this meal, you're inviting them into relationship. And Jesus, and rather I should say God, is pursuing Peter in this moment, he's been pursuing him all along. Go tell his disciples, don't forget to tell Peter. He goes and meets with Peter. 
He's kind to him. He brings about this moment, this charcoal fire. He says, come and have breakfast. And it says, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. And it says, this is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to them. What's Jesus want with you? He is pursuing you in love, no matter where you're at. He's not angry with you. He's not frustrated with you. He's not cold towards you. He's not tired of your failings. He's not upset. He's not giving you the cold shoulder. He's not saying, you need to to fix this before we can be close again. He's bringing him in close and he's saying that to you. Why is this passage here? Why would you tell on on some level the greatest disciple? Why would you tell on him like that? Because God is saying, even the guy who never should have done this, I love, I pursue. But look at the breakfast conversation that they have in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, so Peter, son of John, Do you love me more than these? And it's kind of unclear as to whether Jesus is talking about, like, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Like, do you love me more than fish? Like, are you, you, do you still wanna go after fishing? Like, do you love fish? I don't think you do, you know, kind of a deal. Like, it could be, do you love me more than these? Jesus could have been pointing to all the disciples because Jesus says, even though everyone else falls away, I will never fall away from you. And he sets himself up for a big fall when he says that. And so maybe Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, in all of your efforts to try and get me to love you and all of your efforts to be lovable, do do you love me more than these other disciples? It could be both. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Hmm. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Why do you keep asking me this? He says, feed my sheep. Why does Jesus do that? 
See, Simon Peter is racked with guilt and shame. He can't get over the reality of what took place. And there's been lots of speculation. Jesus says three times because, says, do you love me three times? Because Peter had denied him three times. It might be different kinds of love. Do you, like, do you love me like this? Do you love me like that? Who knows exactly? But what seems pretty clear is that Jesus isn't just saying to him, like, do, do you really love me? Do you, really, do you pinky promise that you love me? Are you sure? Okay. No, it's Jesus saying, you're right. You don't have what it takes. You've been trying to make yourself lovable all these years. I was talking to Brandon Haverland, Pastor Brandon, earlier uh, this morning, and this is, we were talking about the sermon, and he, he said this. I want to give him credit. You've been trying to make yourself lovable versus truly just loving me because I already love you. You've been trying to make yourself lovable by doing all of these things. And then comes this moment where you do the exact thing that you shouldn't be doing. And this whole time, you haven't been ready for ministry. You haven't been ready to serve me. You haven't been ready to be my disciple. And it says, as if Jesus is saying, now you're ready. Now you're ready. Why is Peter ready now? Because now Peter sees, Jesus told me it was gonna happen. He absolutely knew that it was gonna take place. And yet he still loves me. And yet he still loves me. And Jesus reminds him of something. Remember that day that I told you that you were going to feed my lambs or that you were going to be fishers of men? Feed my lambs is the equivalent of that. It's essentially saying, you're not done here. We're just getting started. And so I, I want you to see something. Although Peter's denial was such a huge breach of their friendship. Although his denial was, was really just an, an awful moment of betrayal, he weeps bitterly over that. And Jesus is pursuing him. Jesus is coming after him. And he's not waiting for you to be sorry enough. You'd have to wait till eternity to be sorry enough. Jesus is pursuing you even in the midst of your greatest betrayal of him, your greatest betrayal of somebody in your life. Jesus is pursuing you. 
in the midst of that moment. Can we call the ushers forward here in just a moment? Yeah, just come forward when you're ready. Jesus is pursuing you even though you continue to fail him. he's, He's loving you in the midst of your lack of love for him. Kurt Thompson in his book, Soul of Shame, says, but Jesus also demonstrated for us how God pursues us to enable us to fearlessly confront our own shame while not being overrun by it, as his reinstatement of Peter demonstrates. This interaction offers us a glimpse of how Jesus ferrets out Peter's shame and reorients his attention towards Jesus and to the work that Jesus is calling him to do. Jesus is not done with you. He's not done with me. And so we love Jesus in order to live outward. Do you see what Jesus, Jesus reinstates him in ministry. Jesus, Jesus wants you to love him because he is loving you all the way. He loved you all the way to the cross. He loves you all the way to the end. And he wants us to remember that. Can we partake of communion here? Would you hop up and grab that and we'll do that together?